0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best selling author. So please grab your coffee. And if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines. This is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So this week, we are having a brilliant conversation about being brilliantly dyslexic. And my host is Elizabeth Trudeau. I came across her Um, wonderful book website and all of her materials um, because she was so kind to approach me through social. And I just was so excited to meet her and to see that she had come up with this idea for a book on a topic that I frankly was floored had not been written about before. So, so super excited to talk with her about it because, first of all, it's been a while. So I haven't, you know, kind of refreshed about what this podcast is all about. It's been almost two years since I started the podcast and it has evolved a little bit over time. But I started this podcast as a way to get some information out there to families, caregivers, parents. I know it says Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. So in the title, it started out as this idea that as a parent, when my kids were young, there was this idea that I wished that I had this place to go for information, and I didn't. First of all, the internet was not what it is today. We had this thing called listservs, we had some books, they certainly were not prolific the way that they are today. And the information out there on parenting special needs children was minuscule compared to how it is now. So my story was on parenting a special needs child, a disabled child as some people would use that term of art. And um you know I did just a couple of podcasts ago talk about the language debate so we can go back and forth about that another time. But whether you use disability, whether you use special needs doesn't matter your language is cool for you and we will use whatever language you feel comfortable with and and you identify with. So the disability podcast that we are started out um, with this idea that I wanted to get information out there in a forum for people who were not going to come to Massachusetts and come to my law firm. So fast forward, a year later, I start this podcast in September of 2019. And not even a full year year later, this pandemic hits and we're in full lockdown mode. I can't have guests in my studio I can't go and see guests wherever I am. And I did travel to a few people out there. And so here I am. I am now doing things um, in a way that I never dreamed that I would be. Everything's by Zoom now. Everything is um, in an electronic format. I am a little bit challenged by that, but having fun, learning new things, and getting information out in this medium that I never knew I would need to do. So the premise being that I wanted to interview folks who were parents and siblings and caregivers who are getting it done. And who had interesting stories, because storytelling is the way that we share ideas and that we talk about um, what we've learned. And in that authenticity, we are able to promote healthy caregiving and prop each other up. And. I know that when I was raising my family, it was very lonely. And so that, that was the first premise, right? S- Storytelling and um, providing a forum for people to share their individual journeys. But more than that, I also wanted to show that there are people who are getting it done. There are these amazing individuals out there who had an idea and they rolled with it. So whether you are some amazing doctor or passionate professional of some sort, or just, and I don't mean to say just, but you are just an amazing person who had another idea. You wrote a book, you created a website, you thought about, um, pulling together, a nutrition manual. You were somebody who went through the school district and provided some prolific advice about how to pull together an IEP. We've had so many phenomenal people, men and women on this podcast who have done such terrific things and they are sharing it with us. so I put a post out last week that has bounced around to I don't know like 1800 people at this point and it was um, really it's been really well received it's still bouncing around out there and I'm so grateful that it is so well received and it's something that I have been, saying for a while. And I don't know why I hadn't thought to kind of say it out loud, but it's really where I'm at with this podcast and with so many things that I do. And that is that sharing your life story, when you go through something difficult in life and you learn something from that difficult journey, it's a blessing. And that's the way that it was with my journey with Elizabeth. Um, it, It was a blessing having her and it was a blessing being her mother. But when you turn around and you take those life lessons and you share them with others, that's grace. So not that everybody has to do that. It's if you're called to it, that's wonderful. If you're not, that's okay too. But when you do, that's grace. So the people that have come and shared their life stories and the things that they have learned with others through whatever means, whether that's been a book or an invention or their website, their company, their whatever they have done on this podcast uh, with us and through whatever means and mechanism they have with the world, with our disability world. That has just been grace. And I've been so honored to meet all of you. And I am looking forward to the next year and the next year and the next year of being able to do this and to meet the next person and the next person. And so thank you for sharing your grace with all of us. And thank you for sharing it with me. So the same is true for Liz Trudeau, who wrote her book, Brilliantly Dyslexic. And her story was that she was raising a child with dyslexia who felt stupid, like so many of us with dyslexia. And she wanted to show that juxtaposition between being able to have that learning difference and still being this brilliant individual. The book is amazing. I love it. I loved the stories of all of these incredible individuals who have dyslexia, but who are doing amazing things in the world. They're not all famous. Some of them are, but many of them are just doing wonderful things with their gifts. And it was, um, as a person with dyslexia, it was just so great to see that. And I loved that she saw that there was no such book. She went looking for it for her child, uh, saw there was no such book, thought there really needs to be this. She started pulling the stories together for her child and then thought, uh, you know what? I think the world needs this. And she decided to create it. So, so many of the people that I have on my show, that's kind of where their journey started. And it was such a pleasure talking with Liz. Um, we did have a little bit of difficulty with the internet. I think it was on my end. I'm not sure. Oh, God bless Zoom. It's been such a hard journey with the zoom and everything over the last 16 months. I hope that we've edited it all out. If you hear some little troubling stuff, I hope you'll forgive me for my imperfections and just enjoy our talk with Liz Trudeau. So here we go. Welcome back podcast fans. I'm your host Annette Hines and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Today, our topic is dyslexia, and we are talking about neurodifferences, which is a topic near and dear to my heart because I have one, and since I did not discover my neurodifference until I was an adult, I am particularly interested in today's topic. So I am very excited to be talking with Liz Trudeau today, and she was... Somebody that was very interested in the topic of neurodentastic book called Brilliantly Dyslexic. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. So, Liz, I am really interested to hear a little bit about how Brilliantly Dyslexic came to be. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory? You know, tell us about your family and you know how did how did you get interested in this topic?
1: Well, like most people, um, before I became a parent, I'm not dyslexic myself, so um, I would not consider myself the foremost expert on dyslexia, um, but I have a lot of experience with it um, because of parenting, really. Um, so like many parents, um, I really was introduced to, um, to this through um, my child's journey. Um, in fact, the the year that my I, my daughter was born, my husband found out that he's dyslexic. Um, oh. and Yeah, it was, he was actually watching a documentary because he enjoys that. And he ended up watching a documentary about dyslexia and finished the documentary and said, oh my gosh, I'm dyslexic, um, and took himself to a, a place to get assessed and found out that he was indeed, is indeed, um, dyslexic. And that was, it was super helpful to know that, um, because as our daughter, um, got a little bit older, so, um, Toddler age really struggled to retain letters, struggled to learn her name um, all the things that most children pick up pretty quickly um, and we started to wonder what's going on here um, and so by the time she got into kindergarten we were our radar was up um, and we actually enrolled her in a um, in a in a study that was going to look at a bunch of different things hoping to get a few different answers um, and it came back with, you know, your daughter is most likely dyslexic. Um, and so it really set us on a path quite early. We were very lucky that way um, to um, understanding and exploring all about what dyslexia is. You know, I think that's really
0: interesting. So I have two questions. First of all, when your husband came back and told you that he saw this show, the um, documentary, and he said, "Ooh, I have that. Did you believe him?
1: Yes. I was like, Oh, well, what is that? Um, because, and it all made it, it made so much sense because he had spent his entire life feeling he was, this common narrative that I would hear over and over again from him is I'm just bad at school. Um, really struggled with learning foreign languages, struggled through grad school with the reading. Um, and, It was so helpful for him to know that he wasn't just bad at school. Um, He wasn't intelligent, unintelligent, sorry. Um, He's dyslexic. Um, And there was an explanation for all of the things that he experienced.
0: That's awesome. The second thing is, so in looking at school districts and different um, data sets, we find that most kids between 87 to 93% are intellectually able to manage the same material academically as their non-disabled peers and that they just have a neuro difference, a, a learning difference. So if they were given the proper learning tools, then they would be able to um, they would be able to manage the um, the academic material and achieve the same academic levels as their peers. So there's only any from in any school di- district between you know seven to thirteen percent that really don't have the capability of being able to manage grade level material. So um, and that is very interesting to the average person because they have an impression that, you know, there are many, many more children on um, ed plans that can't manage the materials. So these are the kids that we're talking about, kids who need extra tools and extra helps, extra help. And so I think this, is really the heart of what you're talking about, isn't it?
1: It really is. Um, Children with a learning difference like dyslexia are just as smart as their peers. Um, And they just struggle um, with processing language. And so if we use language as a barrier, sort of the cost of entry for every subject, um, for math, um, for social studies, for everything, then of course they're going to fall behind in those subjects. But they're really brilliant in so many different ways um, that when they actually look at the brain scans, when they look at the studies, they will see really, really low scores in reading and language processing and then like off the chart scores in other, in other areas and in other measures of intelligence.
0: So is that what gave you the idea for the book? Tell us about how you got the idea to write the book because I just love the book. There's the, the book is about uh, uh, all of these brilliant adults who are doing these amazing things and you know, I and I'm going to I have one of my favorite quotes in the book that I am going to read to you, but just tell us how you got started with this idea for the book.
1: Of course. Um, Well, it started in a scenario that's very common for all of us. I was in the car, um, driving home from school with my daughter. um, And keep in mind, she's been in an environment that I think um, has, she's always, let's just say, she's always had teachers who've supported her and who've seen her for who she is, that she may struggle, but they've always treated her like she was very intelligent, that she was, um, had all sorts of gifts. But, she knew that she wasn't keeping up with the kids around her. And she, because oftentimes, um, dyslexic kids are incredibly perceptive. Um, so you can tell them good job, but if they see their neighboring child, a neighboring child doing something that they can't do, um, they don't feel that way. Um, they, in fact, probably think you're li- They're lying to, they probably think that you're lying to them. Um, and anyway, I was driving home from school with her and, um, I just hear her from the back seat just say, I'm just stupid. I'm just stupid. And it, it broke my heart. Um, yeah, no parent wants to hear that from their child. You just, you, you know, it's not true. And you also know that, you know, sort of reflect on it. Like, where is this coming from? There's nothing. I can't just respond and make it all right. And I think that's the hardest part as a parent is I can't, I can't take that away for you. Um, and, you know, we've been there before. It wasn't the first time I had heard it. Um, and this time, I think I just responded slightly differently. I said, um, no, you're not stupid. You're dyslexic. And there's amazing people who are dyslexic. There's inventors and artists and really amazing creative people. Yeah. And I don't think I had ever added that before. And, um, and then there was just a pause and then there was a, a little voice in the back seat saying, like who? And I was like, oh, well, Let glad you asked. You. And so we went, exactly. So we went home, we did some internet research, and we found, um, looked specifically for people who would resonate with her, found an abstract artist that she absolutely loved, um, some inventors, some other people. And I could see that she was like, okay, this can be all right. This could be all right. And um, I actually at that point then searched, um, I'm like, there must be a book. There has to be a book. There's so many dyslexic kids. There's up to like 20% of kids have some level of dyslexia. So um, I searched for this book that I figured must exist, um, but it didn't. And I was like, how does this book not exist? Where are the role models for my child? Really? That's, that's just crazy,
0: but I'm so glad you did it. It's beautiful, oh, first of all. How- and
1: the artwork is just beautiful too. Oh, thank you so much. Um, It started as a very, um, it started as a very, um, it didn't start looking like it does today. It started as a binder of stories um, just for her, um, because if the book didn't exist, I was just gonna write the stories for her. Um, and then at some point, I, re- I sort of was thinking, well, if we need this, then there must be all these other families who need this. Um, and so I shared it with a bunch of families, asked for their honest feedback. Um, like, I don't need to write this book. I will be okay if I don't write this book. But yeah. do you need me to write this book? Um, and the answer came back. I was actually quite surprised. The answer came back of, like, you have to write this book. Um, and that's how it got started.
0: You know, a lot of books get started that way too. I I know my book started as a blog. Um, well, first it started as a journal and then it went to more like, I'm just going to share this a little bit in some pieces. And then it became something that just had to be more because there were so many other books that were just not quite right you know, they were a little too happy and it wasn't telling everybody's story. It was only telling some people's story. So, mm. yeah. And so it's true. A lot of people's um, journeys are different and they need a book, you know, yeah. so this book needed to be written. So it took me seven years to finish college And finally I did and I went to law school and then I got an MBA, but I mean, that's what it takes sometimes and that's okay. You know, I I I wasn't going, wasn't going to Harvard, but I still have a great life and I'm doing things in my way and everybody has their own path. I have. I love my businesses. I love my life. And it's, it's me. It's all about me. And so we do things our way. And that's great for us. Um, so uh, there was a lot of failure in my life. I still fail at lots and lots of things all the time. And I try not to get twisted up about it. So I love this quote by Richard Branson. And I love that Steven Spielberg is on this list. It's awesome.
1: Yes, and I think, you're, I, think, I think you're so right. I think failure is part of all of our stories. And I think that's one of the unfortunate things is it's edited out so often. Um, when we hear about people's stories and when, we, um, when people reach a certain level of success, um, we stop remembering what it took to get there and all the things along the way. Um, so I think it's really important that we all talk about our failures and we normalize that, um, that falling down is part of the process.
0: And also, what does success mean and what does it look like? What is success? Does it mean that everybody has to be a doctor or a lawyer? Or can it be that beautiful girl that you're talking about in the book who's dancing, Right. I mean, that's success too. And so um, again, I just love the book. I thought it was uh, so poignant and putting those two things together, brilliance and dyslexia. So I find that very often when you put a disability out there on a child, you won't often uh, associate that with brilliance at the same time. And I just applaud you for doing that.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I think it's a hundred percent true is I felt really strongly that the word dyslexic had to be in the title. And I thought felt also felt really strongly that it had to be paired with um, something that implied um, uh, beauty and brilliance and brightness um, because both things are true. Um, and that I think is part of the story. It's also part of, um, each of the stories on purpose, um, talks about how the, how these kids who are now adults felt as they were growing up, um, because, and it often wasn't awesome. Um, and I think it's important to include that because, um, at least I know from my own daughter's experience, that's what builds credibility to believe that that story could apply to her. Um, to know that you've been where I have been makes me feel like your story has relevance in my life and that you could be a role model. If I only see where you are now, um, mm-hmm. then, I, then it doesn't feel attainable or it doesn't feel a- relatable. And so that was a really, those, those juxtapositions of um, words that off, aren't often seen together and the full story of childhood where the success or whatever they achieve um, was really more of an afterthought the journey um, was where I wanted to put most of the focus.
0: Fantastic. Did you actually get to interview people for the book?
1: I did. I would say about 60% of the stories are from primary interviews.
0: So awesome. So as you're raising your own neurodiverse child and you're facing those challenges, what, change in her have you seen
1: since you've written this book? I'd love to know, you know? Yeah. I would love to say that her life is so much easier and she has a great attitude about things all the time. And see, you know, there's some kids, um, who truly do see dyslexia as their superpower and are all about it. Um, she still struggles. Um, she doesn't, particularly enjoy being dyslexic school is really hard Um, but the difference is that she knows that this isn't the end of the story um that this is the hardest part and we have the that conversation um actually quite frequently because it is hard um and we constantly come back to but this is the hardest part the part you're doing right now is the hardest part um and that really helps her um to, to know that she's in the thick of it, she, it will get better. And so it helps her knowing that it won't be always be so hard.
0: So what tips then can you share for other families, other parents um, that are going through the, these struggles right now?
1: What would be very um, helpful? Yeah. You know, when I started this book, I started it for her. Um, but writing this book really changed me as a parent, um, and I think it was because the theme, what I learned looking across these stories, they, the stories sort of, the themes across these stories sort of shared um, a bit of a blueprint, more or less, um, of how to show up what a child really needs. Um, mm-hmm. And the top two things, and the, the, the best, best, best news of it is the top two things were 100% achievable by any parent. And um, the number one was a person, any adult, often it was a parent, um, who really sees the child and believes in them, like sees them for who they are, for all their struggles, for all their giftings, and believes in them. Um, that... Was hands down the common theme across all of these stories, and the most impactful um, piece. Um, the second um, really was about having the opportunity to play to their strengths. Um, so finding something that they love, that makes them feel good, that they feel like they can be successful in, um, and and having the time to put into that. So I think it's often really tempting as parents to want to spend a lot of time on remediation. Um, But Mm -hmm. what we're, and learning to read is really important. We all have to learn to read. Um, Mm -hmm. However, what we're asking our kids to do, and what all dyslexic kids have to do is spend more time doing the thing that they hate and feel awful at. And so it's, -hmm. we have to make sure that we're not crowding out, Um, the opportunity to find what they love um, and to spend a lot of time doing that.
0: That reminds me of the TV show, The Goldbergs. I don't know if you watch that show, but that mom is amazing. She um, encourages her kids at absolutely everything, whether they're good at it or not. So, you know, the younger son loves to make movies and he's running around the house with the movie camera all the time. And in school, he makes a movie for all of his homework. And um, the older daughter, you know, she wants to do music and, you know, that's her passion. And so it's always about the music. And then the middle son is, you know, thinks he's good at absolutely everything. So they encourage him with everything he wants to do. This week, he wants to be a skateboard artist. The next week, he wants to surf. The week after that, he wants to play basketball. He stinks at absolutely everything. And they, <laughs> they show, like, in the future what they grow up to be. He ends up being a surgeon or something like that. Like, you know, but the point is, as a parent, she's encouraging every activity that they have, although still making them do their homework and eat their vegetables and all the things that they have to do. And so I love what you said, like you still have to do the basics, but just being there and being that person, your person, being your person and, you know, making sure that they have time for those activities that they love and that they're good at so that they feel accomplished at something. Yeah. Awesome. So that the next Steven Spielberg can grow up to make movies, right? Or the next, you know, dancer can grow up to do ballet and, you know, star in the show. And we don't want to lose out on that next, you know, Picasso or whatever it is. Um, We we need those dreamers and the artists and the um, person who's going to You know, find that next, uh, you know, great thing that replaces our computers on our desk. I mean, those those people are out there and they're five years old right now. So um, we need them.
1: We 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 don't want to stifle them. Steven Spielberg a great example. Um, he really, really struggled in school. Um, and he just threw himself into photographer, photography and um, making videos when he was a child. And he would spend all of his time, I think from 12 years old on, he would spend all of his time with that editing machine. And so he wasn't academically successful. He was I a mean, commonly known story. People know a lot about Steven Spielberg, but um, you know he was um, rejected from his from film school twice. Um, mm-hmm. So his road—his road was hard. Um, but he kept his. His parents were supportive, um, and he he really played to his strengths. And um, well, we know where he ended up now.
0: Right. Right. And even if he didn't end up as the famous Steven Spielberg, but he had a lovely career making small films that he was really happy doing, like not everybody has to be that famous Steven Spielberg. Like I always try to explain to my daughter I have this great little practice. I don't have to be this famous trial lawyer who's splashed all over the newspaper. I love my life too. You know, everybody has their place and what they do every day. And as long as you are happy and you're enjoying your work every day, then you are a very lucky person. So um, yeah, this is really just, great tips for parents. We sometimes, we get so caught up and we get so frazzled with fixing the things that are wrong. We forget about the things that are right. So you are so right to remind us. Yeah,
1: That was a big part of, well, that was a big part of, I think my early parenting journey as well, that when we first started this, um, I was pretty scared. I think for her, um, and worried about what her life might entail. I didn't want her to struggle, um, and I had to step back. Um, and I think it's important for all parents if they ha- if this isn't part of your own story. Um I think it's important for all par- for us to step back and say how much of my own- my story am I bringing into my child's story? And that was an important thing for me to say, you know what? I am scared for her struggling because um doing well academically was something I made part of my identity and I decided that's what made me worthwhile. And So I'm scared for her not to have that, but that's just not her story. Um, Mm -hmm. She's going to have a different story and she's going to have different strengths and it's going to be just as beautiful. And so when I sort of flipped the script from fear to curiosity, um, it really made the world a difference.
0: Yeah, it's that whole definition of success that we were talking about a few minutes ago. What does success look like for you? It's not the same as everybody else's definition. Uh, My daughter Elizabeth was very profoundly disabled and she was not going to have the same definition of what it meant to be a successful human being. Her value proposition was just different than somebody else's. And so, you know, we weren't going to put that same kind of success definition on her. And once you uh, break that mold, it's so freeing for everybody, for everybody. Uh, Actually, the teachers kind of thought we were a crazy family, but that's okay. We kind of got over that real quick. Um, We homeschooled for a while before it was cool, you know, so... (laughs) We were the crazy family before before homeschooling and distance learning really became a thing, um, and so we were kind of trailblazers there. Yeah,
1: we did that. Yeah, well, um, I think I think a lot of um, a lot of parents who have um, neurodiverse kids um, end up turning to homeschooling um, because the. The, school, the system is not really designed um, to support the needs of their child. And so when people can turn to homeschooling, um, they're able to really design actually around their child and what their child needs. So I think it's a very common experience. And um, and I think you're totally right that our, um, our definition of success really needs to broaden Um, to a a happy and fulfilled life with good relationships and the ability to explore what we're good at and what we love Um, much, much further beyond what we often think of it.
0: Now, your book is in pre-sales right now, isn't it?
1: It's starting pre-sales in about six weeks.
0: Um, That's exciting. It is. So, We are going to have all of the information in the show notes, and um, I think when the show airs, it will be, yeah, it'll be coming out within a few weeks, so um, we'll make sure that people are able to go ahead and get a copy, because I think everybody's going to want to read it and get it for their kids, Um, so I'm really excited Now, um, how else can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for people to reach you? Is it your website?
1: Uh, Brilliantly Dyslexic? Yes, they can go to brilliantlydyslexic.com. They can email me at Liz at brilliantlydyslexic.com, And they can find us on Instagram at brilliantly dyslexic. (laughs) I love
0: it. That's great. Um, Any last minute tips for everybody that you would really love us to have?
1: Um, no, I think we cover. I think we covered everything. Um, yeah. Thank you for, thank you for having me. And, um, I thank you for all the work that you're doing. Oh my God.
0: This was totally my, that you were available to talk. And, uh, I know we had a, a few little hiccups here. Um, and I, I really, um, I'm so tired of Zoom. I cannot wait till we all get to see each other in person someday. Um, And I think that your book is brilliant. So if I can use your word Um, and I cannot wait until I get to see all of your reviews coming in. So thank you so much. And I will hopefully get to meet you in person
1: someday. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Liz.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them. And I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.